I'm Andrew Maglio. And I'm Emery Budek. Welcome to today's episode of Conard Current. On today's episode of Conard Current, we hear from a number of students on their opinions of the current school model. We also discuss the inauguration and the political unrest of the past few weeks. Finally, we speak with one student who recounts the recent launch of winter sports just last week. West Hartford Public Schools have experimented with a number of different schedules this year. Hybrid 1.0, fully remote, and now Hybrid 2.0. When Hybrid 2.0 was initially introduced, students overwhelmingly advocated against it. One petition on Change.com received over 2,500 signatures against the implementation of this new schedule. Students voiced an array of concerns. Among of these, some of the most noticeable have been fatigue from longer school days at home and how to accommodate meals for longer in-person school days. Today, we will hear some students reflect on what they think of Hybrid 2.0 several months in. Thank you for coming on the Conning Current today. We're going to be discussing Hybrid 2.0 and scheduling next year. So why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Justice Seymour. I'm a, C- a senior at Conard. Uh, I am also one of the captains of the boys on the dive team this year. Um, yeah. Hi, I'm Sophie Thompson. I go to Conard with Andrew. I'm a sophomore. And so we just want to talk um, a little bit about today about reflecting on semester one, what you think of school um, and the current setup. So already we've had two different models, um, hybrid 1.0, I guess, and hybrid 2.0. Um, and now we're in hybrid 2.0. And um, as you know, we're having debates, I'm anticipating that there will be some debate about block scheduling next year just how, how school's gonna run next year. So what do you think of hybrid 2.0? Do you like do you like how it runs, the block scheduling and the being in, in person um, and out of person? Yeah, it's not that it's not as bad as I thought it'd be. It's it's certainly a lot better than the first hybrid model that they had at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, the second hybrid schedule is a lot more easier to understand uh, than the first one. And then with, with the block schedules, um, I actually like it a lot better than um, what we did in previous years where we had like school for like seven hours a day you know with the current with the current schedule it gives us a lot more time to you know meet with teachers and, and get you know homework done and such uh, and, and yeah I mean it, uh, you know we have time like before clubs and like practices so like everything's not like compacted like right after school so we have time to like do work or like just chill yeah great so um okay so there was a lot of vocal opposition to hybrid 2.0 before we actually made the switch. Were you somebody who supported it or did you have some uh, hesitation? Yeah, at the beginning I didn't support hybrid 2.0 like a lot of other people. I'm pretty sure I remember there being like a petition to not have that be implemented and I'm pretty sure I did sign that petition. I didn't make a comment on it but I signed it. I just didn't really like it because it just was, it seemed way too long, like at the time, because we were having like, I think it was 30 minute classes. And like, that seemed like a really good amount of time. But also because I don't think there was a lot of instruction happening before. And that's what they were trying to do. And just like beforehand, it just didn't seem like that was a good option to have so much instruction for such a long time. Because just thinking about like sitting on your computer for that long, I just didn't really like that, so that's why and I And then I'm curious, the okay, so as somebody who does like block scheduling, are there, I mean, something that I have personally experienced and I've heard from other people is, 
some classes, um, some teachers and some classes adapt themselves better to the, you know, 80, 90 minute periods. Have you had any classes where the block scheduling is not as effective or are, is it generally um, really productive? I think it's probably most effective with me personally in math class, um, you know, with like last year and previous years, you know, classes really like 40 minutes and <laughs> math is like an area where like you kind of need more time to like understand like a unit or whatever. So, you know, it definitely gives us more time to like go over what we're doing, um, you know, for teachers to explain the lessons a lot better, and, you know, have us do more practice problems in classes. Um, with most of my other classes, they don't have um, a lot of work, you know, per se. So, you know, we still have like, on most days we end up having like 20 minutes you know, left in class and we just like chill and relax and, but yeah, it gives us a lot more time to do stuff in class as opposed to like giving us more work to, um, to do at home. Yeah, definitely. Well, it was great to hear your opinion on this um, and we'll see how everything unfolds. So thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Okay. And so, okay, now that we have actually done it for a couple months, uh, has your opinion changed a bit? Yeah, I think I like it more now that because the hybrid, like I don't, I do, I obviously do not like going into school, but I think it is like more beneficial in that it's easier to learn and just like easier to ask questions and get help. So in that way, it, my opinion has changed, but I still like it's not my favorite thing, but I, I don't know if I could think of a better solution of what to do during COVID. So I think this is the best option having this sort of hybrid. Definitely. I know I totally agree with that. I think that um, it's a good solution. And and I, too, I had some hesitations before we officially um, started it. But I think that largely my concerns have been assuaged. So now, looking forward to next year, there is, you know, just some talk um, among students about next year, whether they would prefer block scheduling or the, the switch back to the regular eight-period school day. And I don't, I don't know if we really get a say, but what is your opinion of it? Do you like block scheduling more or would you rather return to the old model? So I was actually, I was thinking about that, but I'm not sure exactly what I would prefer because like block scheduling right now, I don't mind it. Like there's nothing I hate about block scheduling. I don't mind the extended periods, but eight periods in a day, it sounds like a lot of switching because like we've been doing block scheduling for so long, but yeah, I don't really have a strong opinion about either way. So then reflecting on what you've said um, and your experience with the current model, are there any suggestions you would make, you know, to better accommodate students or teachers and staff? I think the teachers should like open up more opportunities to like ask online learners about just like questions on the material they just learned because I think sometimes I find that difficult like even though there's like the chat function which I get but just like at the end like making it like it very clear that like they're open to like any questions that you have online because I just find it much easier like in class like that's the only disconnect. No I totally agree that was actually one of my um my biggest concerns with hybrid 2.0 like how online kids um and their like questions and their learning would be integrated into you know the in the in-person um teaching and so i think like you said i i don't think it's a conscious thing at all i think sometimes it's just hard to chime in when 
you can't really raise your hand. You know, the teachers can't always see the computer if they're at the board teaching. So that's definitely a good point you, you make of um, just remembering. I mean, some teachers do it really well, but just remembering to ask the online kids if they have any questions or anything to say. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It was really great to hear um, your opinions, your ideas, and good luck with semester two. Last week, Connor's winter sports began. I, for one, was hesitant to believe such activities as basketball would actually be allowed, especially given the high rates of COVID-19 cases in Connecticut when compared to the rampancy of the virus during the spring of 2020. Nonetheless, sports are beginning against all odds. Today, we will hear from one student on how athletics look different from this time last year. So today we have um, a member of the varsity girls uh, hockey ice hockey team. Um, and we're just going to be talking about winter sports because they started last week. So why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Maddie Levesque. Um, I'm a defenseman and senior on the Hall Connard girls ice hockey team. Great. So hockey and all the other winter sports started last week. Was it good to be back? Yes, I'm so excited to be back. I feel very fortunate to be able to have a season this year, especially because um, it was pushed back for so long. So I'm definitely excited to be able to play. We'll get right into it. So do you find, are there restrictions? And if so, are the restrictions, do they drastically change how you used to play in practice or, or not? One of the major differences is having to wear a mask on the ice, which under a helmet can sometimes be tough, but I will take anything I can get to get ice time. And we are also splitting up locker rooms to um, reduce the spread of the virus um, a little more. Um, so we currently have two locker rooms where we split up all the girls. And I know that the other hockey teams at least are doing that as well. And I also have to ask, so you said you're splitting up with the um, locker rooms. Is the team making any other changes to um, the schedule to accommodate with COVID-related measures? The, the year this year is the season is reduced so there are only going to be about 12 games and we're only playing teams that will be nearby and in our um, conference so we're not traveling to Greenwich for example for a game so yeah and then so towards the end of the season is does that mean there's not going to be like a state tournament will there will there be playoffs I think they're still trying to figure some of that out um as of right now, I think we only know that we'll be allowed to play games on February 8th, but really hoping um, that we can continue playing through then. And I'm not sure if we'll have a state tournament, I'll probably be limited in some way. So. And then, so my last question is, have, have most of the, um, your teammates returned? And are you guys all able to practice together still um, five days a week? Yes, all of my teammates have fortunately returned and we are all able to take the ice, which is so amazing. Well, that's great. And I wish you and all the other Connor Winter Sports team um, luck in this season. So thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Last week, the 46th president, Joseph Biden, was inaugurated. And the week before that, there were the Capitol riots, obviously. Today we have Ali, a junior at Connor, and we're just going to be discussing the recent political developments that occurred during January. So Ali, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ali. I'm a junior at Connor High School, as uh, Andrew said, and I've been 
paying close attention to the events of the last two weeks, so I'm excited to talk about them. So, where to start? Let's start with President Biden inauguration speech. What, what were some things that stuck out to you about it? Well, I thought his speech was really good because it was very uniquely Joe Biden. I think we've seen in a lot of recent presidencies these inauguration speeches where their lines clearly meant to be sound bites, hoping that they're going to be played over and over and over again. And that kind of, it's people attempting to mimic JFK's inauguration speech. And it often comes across campy and disingenuous. And I think we saw some of that with Obama in 2008, that his inauguration speech came across like it lacked genuinity. So I think Joe Biden's speech was just fabulous because it was he was very, very clearly speaking from himself. And while his message of unity can sometimes come across as unrealistic, I think it was a perfect speech for this moment. And I think it came across extremely genuine. Um, I would assume that he had a fairly large part in writing this speech when candidates are usually actually pretty detached from writing their inauguration speech because it genuinely sounded like it was written by Joe. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think it was interesting because obviously we've had a lot of Christian presidents and politicians often invoke, you know, biblical allusions. But I thought it was especially poignant in his speech, quoting different like scripture and and alluding to biblical references. So I think, you know, as you said, it was definitely very like uniquely um, Joe Biden. And I think the Catholic aspect of his identity was definitely present there as well. Would you agree Mm -hmm. or disagree? No, I do agree. And I think I think that was definitely very intentional because if you look at Joe Biden's past, he talks about his religion, but he's generally private about it. It's not necessarily something that works its way into every one of his speeches in in the way that we have to realize that religion is a big part of American politics and is a big part of how American politicians appeal to their constituents. Joe Biden is fairly secular in most of his speeches and in this one I think he was 100% strategic in trying to appeal to this and I think this was an appeal to some of the people that would maybe traditionally vote Republican but were tired of Donald Trump's rhetoric, really want unity, disapprove of actions like the riots but may not be completely on board with a Democratic presidency yet. I think that was very possibly an appeal to those people. And in your opinion, would you say that, do you think he was effective in, you know, reaching across the aisle? He definitely was trying to give a very unifying speech. Do you think he succeeded in that regard? You know, it's unclear at this point, I would say, because I think we need to wait for some of the statistics to come in on exactly who was watching. I think it's very possible that some of the more who we would consider gettable voters some of the perhaps reluctant Trump voters who believe the results of this election were legitimate when they were watching that. I would not be surprised if some of them, if it helped some of them go into the Biden presidency with an open mind. However, I think like as we know, like the Democratic debates had very actually quite low viewership. 
among the Republican Party and even the um, national debates did not have such high viewership among the Republican Party, I think it's very likely that those who feel strongly about Donald Trump being president, who believe this election was fraudulent, I think it's likely they didn't even turn on their TVs to watch. Yeah, interesting point. Okay, and so now let's transition a little. So we've talked about the tone of Joe Biden's speech and a point that you brought up when we were discussing this, you know, before the call was the fashion. And just tell people a little bit about what you what you noticed from people and what they were wearing. Well, it was generally attire that I think was meant to bring hope. It was meant to catch people's eyes. And I think the idea was not to make it a, a solemn event, despite the fact that we are in fact in very solemn times with scientists predicting that we're gonna have half a million COVID deaths in the next couple of months. So we are in very dark times economically with the coronavirus pandemic. And I think a lot of the color everyone was wearing, kind of just the cheerful outfits was meant to bring hope to people. And then of course, interestingly, there was a lot of purple. We saw we saw Michelle Obama and Hillary Clinton in purplish and different shades of purple. And we also saw Jill Biden wearing an interesting and colorful outfit. And when we think of purple, it, it's very likely that this was strategic. Red and blue equal purple. So it goes along with Joe Biden's speech talking about the need for unity and talking about putting country over party and kind of superseding the, uh, and like the needs of our country, superseding the desires and agendas of each party. So I thought that was interesting and definitely represents some of the attention to detail that always goes into planning these inauguration processes because it really is. It's the it's the first impression of the new administration for people who don't always pay attention to politics. I totally agree. Yeah, and, and something that stuck out to me was the little golden dove. I think it was pretty hard to miss um, that Lady Gaga was wearing. Um, definitely a symbol of peace unity so i thought that was definitely powerful as well for, for well, sure yeah well thank you so much for coming on today it was really great to hear uh, your perspective your your ideas very valuable yeah you're welcome andrew anytime well that about does it for today's episode of connor current if you want to stay up to date on connor current's happenings check out our webpage on www.connordcurrent.com the link is in the description. If you're interested in being on Conard Current, whether it be to advertise an event or just to get in on a scoop, sign up using the form on that same webpage. We can also be reached at theconnardcurrent at gmail.com. And with that, I'm Emery. And I'm Andrew. This was Conard Current.